Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. To join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. UFOs to government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We've got to stop us. They're going to kill us all. See how the trouble you've started? Be they a government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings. When the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to win the day to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Welcome to Crypt Ricks I've Been Thinking. What's this show all about? Well, it's all in the title. He enjoys interviewing people about issues that he finds interesting and which cause him to sit back and think. Cryptocurrency, true crime, natural law, the occult. No topic is off limits here. He has always enjoyed when people give their points of view or thoughts on different topics that they have researched. And what makes it all great is that it's their unique take on what is being discussed. For that reason alone, it makes it interesting to him. So take that walk down to his crypt. Make yourself comfortable. And just maybe, he will be discussing a topic that you have been thinking about. Here's your host, Crypt Rick. Welcome, everybody. It is the start of another week. It can only mean one thing if I'm here joining you is that it is Monday. And I always tell you guys I look forward to Mondays because it's time to pull yourselves up, you know, pants up by the bootstraps and go ahead and tackle the week. Forget about what happened last week. Start of a new week. Always look forward to that. Hope you guys had a great weekend. I know I did. You know, had a long weekend here, which we are having and had a little bit of a barbecue, had some fun. 
So it was a great weekend. Weather's a little cold here in Canada. Like I said on uh, Friday night, the weather is getting cold. Fall is creeping up here very quickly. So I'm trying to enjoy the, at least the nicer weather because snow will be coming around the corner very quickly. Before I know it, I'll be buried in snow again. So anyways, hope you guys all had a great weekend. Looking forward to this week. Thank you guys all for listening. I'd just like to let you guys all know that here at Revolution Radio, it is listener-supported. I always tell you guys that it is all you listeners that make this all work. And it's uh, greatly appreciated if you can donate many great ways you can. There's cryptocurrency. They have Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and Ethereum. But if cryptocurrency is not your thing, then you can definitely use Ethereum. Well, I was saying Ethereum, but there's other cryptocurrencies. But if those don't work, there is other ways. As I was saying, Patreon, that's what I should have said, was a better way to put it. You can donate a little bit every month. The amount that you want comes out of your account. Don't have to worry about it. And it is going to a great cause, keeping all of the creators here at Revolution Radio going and bringing you amazing content pretty much 24-7, guys. And it's great. No limits. There's no censorship, which is getting hard to do to get your message out there. All the major platforms, as most people know if they're doing any type of content, are getting censored heavily. So if you're not kind of following their agenda or what they want you to say, they just take you out of, off the air completely or take your videos down or whatever you're, you know, they do their best just to keep the truth away from people. So I think it's a great thing to support and uh, it's getting harder and harder to get the truth out there. So thank you guys for everyone who does donate, who is uh, going to donate. It is so appreciated. So thank you. But with that out of the way, uh, just want to go ahead and welcome my guest. I have a great guest this week. Been looking forward to having her on the show since I saw her podcast. So I want to welcome Ellie from Speed Bumps. That's the name of her podcast. Welcome, Ellie. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for being here. I'm excited to have you. I've been listening to your podcast, uh, as I was telling you before we got live on the air here. And I'll let you describe what your podcast is and your story, uh, because uh, I think that would be the best way and the most nobody can describe what you're doing better than you. So I just wanted to let people know that I really enjoy your podcast and I think it's needed, uh, greatly needed and uh, a great thing that you're doing. And I love the title. I was telling you speed bumps. I think that's a great way that you kind of describe what you're going to be talking about. It's a great way to label it. So I enjoy the title. And I really like the show that you're doing. So can you let let everybody know a little bit about your story and about uh, where the name for speed bumps, all of that great stuff we can get into. But why don't we start so people can get to know you and your story a little bit and how you got to where you are? Yeah, well, I really appreciate you listening and the fact that you enjoy it. Uh, I started speed bumps because I've gone through my own speed bumps in life and I thought everyone has a story. So my podcast is just having people on to share their different stories. Uh, In episode one, I share my story, and my story starts the day I was born. Uh, I was born with a left radio clubbed hand, so if you have five fingers and you have a typical hand, if you hold it up and you look where your thumb would be, I don't have a thumb, and my index finger was rotated all the way in, so my wrist was rotated all the way in, so it actually touched the inside of my forearm. And you have two bones in your forearm. You have your radius and your ulna. Your radius is on the side of your thumb. Your ulna is on the side of your pinky. I don't have a radius. And so that was the most obvious thing uh, when I was born. And it was quickly discovered that I also had heart problems. So at seven months old, I had open heart surgery. 
because I had something called Trichology of Fallot, which it basically means four defects in my heart. I also had wow. five holes in my heart and a tight mitral valve. So what boggles my mind is your heart is about the size of the fist at the time. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine how small an infant's fist is, having all of those things wrong and such a tiny little organ boggles my mind. For sure, yeah. Like when you think of it that way. And then, so these were, this was all, you were born with this, so this was definitely something that, I, was this genetic? Is like, is this something that, uh, like, how do I word it? Is it something that runs like in, like in a family or something, or were you just, you just got the gift of all of this kind of laid on you? Because I know with my disease, it, there was, I tried to trace back with my ankylosing spondylitis back as far as I could my family tree to see if anyone had this condition and nobody has it in my family. I got, I'm the lucky one, I guess that got it. So I'm wondering with your condition, is this something that was passed on or just something you got? So that's actually a really good question because I've had multiple geneticists try and answer that question. I've had some geneticists tell me, uh, it's not genetic. Uh, I've had some geneticists tell me, it absolutely is, and my children have a 50-50 chance of being born like me. But recently, I was reading um, an Instagram post from an account called Just the Inserts, and they post information from just either the pharmaceutical website or the FDA or the CDC, because I'm in the U.S., mm -hmm. and they were talking about Clomid. And Clomid was and is a drug that is used to given to women who are trying to conceive but having difficulty. Okay. And it was given to my mother. And I was always told Clomid is not the reason that I am the way that I am. Um, geneticists and everybody would ask, did was anything used to conceive me? I would say yes. I would tell them Clomid. And it would just be like, okay. And nothing was ever done about it. But I was reading this post and it listed potential fetal abnormalities uh, if the mother does take this prescription and it was me, wow, the trichology okay. of flow was listed. The radio clubbed hand was listed. Uh, I had kidney problems when I was born. Like it was like I was reading me. So uh, I can't confirm that it was due to Clomid. However, I have a very strong suspicion that it right. was. <laughs> right. Uh, that means there is a low probability <laughs> that when I have children, that it'll be passed on. However, Nothing is ever guaranteed in life, so that's uh we would have to wait and see. Right, right. Okay, I, th I was just curious about that. So that's really interesting that this, when you look at the side effects to this drug, that you're it's basically you're it's like a checklist. Yes. So I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't say for sure, but I mean, come on. <laughs> it was just, too many to be a coincidence. Exactly. That exactly. That's what I was just thinking. Like, okay, maybe one's a coincidence, but if it, you're going down like a checklist and it's everything that you've dealt with, I mean, it's a strong thing. And so I'm just, yeah, that's really okay. I'll let you go on with your story. I just wanted to ask that because I'm always, I'm curious if it's something that is like passed down through a family tree or something that skips generations. I know that viruses and conditions and all these things kind of do their own thing and can skip generations and that. So I was just kind of curious about that. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No one else in my family um, is missing any fingers or anything like that. Uh, it was suspected for a while. It could have been because my dad was a welder on a nuclear submarine okay. uh, that maybe, you know, the fumes, the, <laughs> well, the fumes or being around the nuclear radiation fried his sperm and, 
maybe that's why. Okay. Um, but that was that can also never be proven. And so that was the longstanding theory until I found the Clomid uh, information. And that was only a few weeks ago, actually. And like I said, it was just a checklist. So uh, I'm personally convinced that it was Clomid. Uh, but definitely had a part in it for yes. sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If if anything, right. So very interesting. That's really cool that you just found that out. I just think that's really interesting and something you should drill into more and start maybe seeing if there's other people um, that you can either get on your show, which would be amazing if you can find people that, you know, had, were, their parents were on, their mother was on this drug and they have any of the symptoms and got the conditions that you did. I think that'd be really neat to, and interesting if you could find people just to kind of do a little bit of research on that. Yeah. What's so hard is I was actually talking to someone, um, she's a congenital amputee and I'd actually asked her that question cause I'd found the information like two days before talking to her. Mm-hmm. And at first she was like, yeah, I'm going to ask my mom. And then she messaged me later. She's like, I can't, she's like, I would never want my mom to feel like it was her fault. And to be honest, I get that because I would never tell my mom the information that I found out because I would never want her to think that it was her fault. So Good unless, point. There were people who happened to know that their mother took Clomid. Um, that would be the only way because a lot of people, you know, they don't want to, they want their parents to feel bad. Like they don't think mm-hmm. it's their parents' fault, right? So they would have to already know that information. And I, I don't even know how I would find that out. Um, right. It's true. And I, I didn't even think of that. I'm glad that you brought that up. That, you know, do you want to really bring that to your parents and start asking What's that going to do to them if they start right. thinking that they had something to do with like you're can. Yeah. Okay. So that makes a lot. That's a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it weighs heavy on a lot of people. Um, I get and it's that. Some, and it's something that I, like I would never tell my mom. Like now she happened to listen to my podcast and figure that out and things like that. Well, that's one thing. Uh, but I don't. The likelihood of her finding out is very, very slim. Okay. Okay. Cool. No, that's cool. All right. So go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, oh, no, I, no, I, I'm no. going to have questions you, as you we go along. You can ask questions. You're, you're, you're good. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, yeah, I had the open heart surgery, lived a, I guess, a relatively normal childhood, got picked on a lot, uh, because so when, as, when I was a baby, they took splints cause babies bones are more malleable and took my left arm and made the wrist. So it looked like a uppercase L. And, but my left arm is also shorter. So by having it in that L shape, I was able to kind of do things with my left arm, but because it's so much shorter and things like that, it was hard to put my hair up in a ponytail or like pull up my pants or do other things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about, at the time it was maybe a uh, a foot shorter or so, maybe a little bit less, somewhere around there. So it was a significant discrepancy. And my aunt around the time I was nine, had seen this thing, I think it was on Dateline, for this doctor in Baltimore, Maryland. And I lived in Michigan at the time, who he had gone over to Russia. And I always butcher this name, but it was like the Zrilorov device. And uh, if you can imagine, I'm sure a lot of you have actually seen it, these two metal circles or halos on the outside of a limb with pins Mm -hmm. drilled into the bone um and it was started because of like uh people who were in war and things like that like traumatic bone injuries to try and stabilize them 
And it was started off in clubbed feet. So uh, feet that were turned in. And my doctor, Dr. Herzenberg in Baltimore, he had gone over and learned this technique and brought it back and was starting to do it on radio clubbed hands like mine. But if you think about it, your hand is different than your foot in a lot of ways. One, your leg is weight bearing. Things that are weight bearing heal faster. Um, You need to be able to feel hot, cold, soft, prickly, sharp, things like that with your hand. Whereas with your foot, it's typically in a shoe. You don't need to feel those sensations to keep yourself safe. Uh, Your foot's typically not put on a stove, right? So there was more complications with a hand. And I was one of the first, I was in the first group uh, that he did that on for a radio club hand. That was in May of 2002. I had, uh, I was almost 11. I was 10 years old at the time. And if y'all get a little squeamish, you might want (laughs) to mute for a second. But what they did is they basically go in and obviously it's surgery, so I'm asleep. Um, but they surgically break my bone and they then drill pins into various places in my arm and it is drilled into my bone and three times a day, at least for the first one, uh, my mom had to take an actual wrench, just like a wrench that you use in your house, just a smaller one. And we would turn a nut a certain number of millimeters three times a day. And it would take that broken bone, slowly stretch it apart. And it was, the goal was to take, make my wrist from an uppercase L to straight. And by doing it slowly, you're also moving the skin, the muscles, the nerves, the tendons, the blood vessels, all of those things. And that took about five or six months. Um, it sounds so painful, Ellie. Like I'm, oh, I'm, picturing, I'm picturing this in my head as you're describing it. I'm like, this sounds so painful, what they're my, doing. And, and it's almost experimental, as you were saying. Like, Kudos to your doctor for going in and learning this procedure and thinking outside the box and thinking if, you know, if it works on club feet, maybe we can help people in your condition. So I give him props for that. Yeah, he's but, the only one at the time. Him and one other surgeon, and they were in the same location, were the only ones in the U.S. who were doing that. Now, that other surgeon, I think he's in Florida, but there's only like two people in the entire United States who do this. Um, It's not a super common surgery. It is highly, highly detailed, um, and it hurts. I can imagine. Like no other. I remember when my mom first started to do it, it hurt. I was a kid. I didn't (laughs) want her to do it. I remember her chasing me around. We had rented an apartment because we had to stay out there for three months. And like the living room kitchen area uh, formed like a circle kind of. And, and you turned chasing- that into a racetrack. Oh, I did. She's chasing <laughs> me around. And I and she's like, we have to do this. I was like, no, it hurts. I don't want to. <laughs> and finally, she basically catches me and has to pin me down and has to turn these things because that's what we have to do. And I'm screaming and I'm screaming and I'm screaming. Um, wow. Eventually, I got to a point that I could do it myself. Um, okay. That's where crazy. Like, I knew that it would hurt, but I was able to manage the pain, I guess. And uh, like, I, just, I, I knew what to expect, I guess. Right. Yeah. Cause you kind of were in control of it. Right. So yeah, I get that. 
I could see I could see where you're that would be more comforting, even though you're hurting yourself, you're kind of feeling more in control. Right. Like I could turn it, you know, if I had to turn it two millimeters or whatever it was, it was OK. I'm going to turn it ever so slowly. I know I have to get to this point, but if it takes <laughs> me a minute to get there as long as I get there. Right. Right. Um, and what and at this time, I'm, I'm assuming. And how old were you when you had this again, this surgery? Uh, I was almost 11. OK, that was so the first one. Yeah. Wow. And then so and then before that, like you're saying, you've had open heart surgery and then you yep. were now I'm just thinking pain med wise. They must have had you on some pretty hardcore meds. And I'm thinking yep. they started like really giving me hardcore meds for my disease when I was about 17. But I'm yep. thinking at your age, were they giving you like the hard stuff like they must oh, yeah. have been? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Codeine, morphine, Vicodin, Valium. Um, and I didn't do well with it and I didn't like it and it was this catch-22 of they just did something really traumatic and a really intense surgery so they want to give you pain meds but at the same time giving that strong of pain meds to a kid especially prepubescent is Mm -hmm. holds a lot of risk um I remember a little boy he was around my age, similar situation, and they had put him on Valium. And he ended up hallucinating that a red balloon was chasing him. And how do you explain to a 10-year-old that you're hallucinating and why you're hallucinating? Because we don't have, a 10-year-old doesn't have that vocabulary. They don't understand, you you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I get it. So... I never really liked the pain medication. Uh, Basically, once I was out of the hospital, it was, I'm only going to take it if I absolutely need to because I didn't like the way it made me feel. It hurt my stomach. It made me nauseous. uh, made it difficult to go to the bathroom. So I just, unless I was in excruciating pain, I just dealt with it because I didn't like the way it made me feel. Cool. Yeah, because I would leave. I'm just thinking at that young age, that's such a danger. Those are such dangerous medications to... I get why they're giving them to you, I'm, I, I, but I'm saying like they're still very abusive and they can right. turn like so you even at that young age. I mean, that's a slippery slope where you'd have to be very careful. And I'm glad that, you know, it sucked that you'd kind of had to power through it, but that you were aware enough that you didn't like them and like try to stay away from them as much as possible, because though, then you have a whole different problem with pain medications if you, if you it ends up going down that road. So, oh, Absolutely. Very cool that you that you were aware of that at that age too. Yeah. I don't think it was a conscious awareness. I think it was just more of the negative side effects outweighed the positive for me. So I just didn't want them unless I absolutely needed them. Makes sense. Yeah. And then so during now you you got this surgery done. Yeah. And now you're uh I'm assuming you're still in school now. How how are they treating you in school? Are they are you uh, being teased? Are they are you they accepting you? Like, how was that whole thing? Because we know how cruel kids can be, especially if you're different at oh, those yeah. ages. So how was that kind of for you? So I got the first frame put on at the end of fifth grade. So like I ended fifth grade like a month early to get this thing put on. And when I started sixth grade, I didn't resume resume at the same school because they thought my parents thought the school was going to close. So I went to a whole new school with this thing on. Um, And I'm very much an introvert. Plus, you know, that whole thing. And I stood out in so many different ways and I didn't like it. Um, 
finally convinced my parents after in like January, you know, when the first semester was over to move me back to that other school. Um, and it wasn't great. Uh, and, but it wasn't awful either, I guess. Like they were nice to me because everyone, I was an oddity. It was a fascination. So they weren't quite teasing me yet. Um, by the time seventh grade, so there was, that was sixth grade. And so I got the frame put on in May and I got the frame taken off in, I want to say November-ish, but in between that time, I had to have two other surgeries. One, because one of the rods that were holding the two metal halos had broken or something. And so they had to go in and stabilize the frame. And the second one was they got, they realized because they don't have a complete wrist, it's not like your wrist, um, they had to go in and take a small portion of my wrist bone out so my wrist would go straight completely. Okay. So, and then they took the frame off in November. So that round was four surgeries total. That's, how many surgeries have you had the total it, since you were born at this point? Four, or is there more? Like how many total, surgeries have I, have I had since, since I... Yeah, oh. from this point uh, to like from this point to like from when you were born to where we are right in the story. At this point in the story, I would have had four, five, six, seven, eight, eight or nine, I think. That's incredible. Okay, I'm just and, I, that's yeah. such a big number for that young age. <laughs> it's wow. Like some people go like you know most of their life and maybe have one or two surgeries. Some people get lucky, don't really have any, but you're at nine already. Yeah, because it was open heart. Oh, so it was a catheter for my heart, and it was an open heart. And then it was, I had tubes in my ears twice, and then it was tonsils and adenoids taken out. And then it was the four surgeries on my arm. So yeah, so like eight or nine. Yep, you're you're rocking them up, that's for sure. (laughs) And then, no, yeah. And so then seventh grade happened and I didn't have any um in seventh grade I don't think every everything kind of meshes together to be honest with you (laughs) it does yep um and I'm actually gonna cheat because I recently did a post on all of the dates because I couldn't (laughs) remember they do all blend together I try to tell people my story too and I kind of it's hard to remember everything because it, it, it blends all together and the, you can't remember how the distance between uh, certain things. And, but that, I just think that's incredible how many you've had now. And then while you're looking at that, when they did this, uh, the wrist surgery, that was considered a success when they took it off. Did they accomplish what they wanted to do at the time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll expand on that later because okay. there's perfect. a present day update to all of this. Oh, perfect. Um, but yeah, so that first surgery was in May, 2004. That was at the end of between fifth and sixth grade or May, 2002. And then May, 2004, I had a frame put on again. And the goal of that round of surgeries was to lengthen my forearm because as I'd mentioned, my forearm was and is still shorter than my right. So if I put my two hands up, uh, right now, it's about six inches shorter than my right. 
And so they put that frame on. And I remember for those who've had surgery, you kind of wake up in recovery and you're kind of groggy and you kind of know what's going on and you kind of fade in and out. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was looking over my right shoulder. So my left arm just had the surgery. I'm looking over my right shoulder at my mom and I hear a doctor come in and I'm in and out and they just go, can you feel that? And I just said, feel what? And I remember looking at my mom and her face just goes ghost white. I then wake up again and I have a scar with stitches. It wasn't a scar at the time. It was with stitches that went from Mm -hmm. just above my wrist all the way up past my elbow. I had developed compartment syndrome and my arm had swollen and I couldn't feel anything. So they had to go in and uh, find my what it was my radial nerve and try and dig that out basically but the tricky part with me is if you think of a building you have the frame or the structure or the scaffolding and your bones are like that in your body Mm -hmm. well as I mentioned before I don't have a radius so if your radius and your ulna act as all the things for the muscles and the nerves and the blood vessels to run straight mine just kind of did whatever they wanted in my arm So trying to find that nerve was apparently very difficult. I remember my mom saying if the frame took like four hours to put on, then that surgery took like six or seven. um, And they actually lost the nerve somewhere up top. Like they couldn't distinguish where it was anymore. So I don't have complete feeling in my left hand anymore because of that. To this day, no, still no feeling. No, I have some feeling. But but not... Right. It's different because I can place both hands on a table, a grass, a blanket, whatever. Um, and they're two completely different sensations. And Interesting. it's and I can't really explain it to people because um, I can still feel like if it's a blanket, it's soft, but it feels different in my left hand than it does my right. So you've lost, so you got like that. So you got sensation. But it's totally it's that'd be really weird having two totally different sensations. Yeah, and sometimes, have you ever, like, worn, like, a thinner glove in the winter, and you can still kind of feel things, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same as if you don't have a glove on? It's kind of like that. That's the best way I can describe it to people. So, like, just dulled down. It's it's definitely dulled down. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's, That's so interesting. I'm just, I'm just trying to picture this in my mind. Yeah, actually, um, my Instagram is O-N-E, thumb, E-L, one thumb, L. And my most recent post is all about my arm surgeries from start to finish. uh, Just because it's a journey in and of itself. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And like I I was telling you off air that I like I've had a lot of medical problems. It's still you know, deal with on a daily basis uh, over the many years that I've had it. And, and when I heard your story, I was kind of like, geez, mine's, it's bad, but it's not that bad. <laughs> I, I mean, like, it's just, you know, it, it's different for sure. I like everybody has their own, like, and I love the way you say speed bumps. I'll probably ta- like start using that because I yeah. think it's a perfect description that we all have them. Some yep. are big speed bumps, some are little, 
but we all have them and we're and either sometimes you know you feel like you're on a rumble strip and you don't know yeah. when the speed bumps are gonna stop. <laughs> yeah yeah like you're on a dirt yeah you feel like you're on a dirt road that never the bumps are never gonna end for sure so when i heard yours when i was listening back to your story i was just like wow like you know i've had a double hip replacement so i've had two major surgeries obviously because that's the only ones i've ever had is that were major was my hip replacements but I was also 21 years old when I got them, or 22 or something like that. I can't remember the exact year, 21, 22 mm-hmm. years old. And But you were so young and, and born. Like, and I just think of the age thing and the, how do you process that at that age. And I, and I also wonder, Ellie, once in a while too, maybe children take it a bit better than somebody that's up there in their age. Kids are a little bit more pliable. They're more adaptable. They, it's just they're different. I find that some of them have – like some children – can really bounce back from things. So I'm just wondering like if that's the case, but I just think of all the surgeries that you've had up to this point. And then like, you know, this is pretty serious stuff what they're doing and experimental in a lot of, in a lot of the ways. Yeah. And I mean, so this is my disclaimer to any parents who hear this, who have a kid like me. Uh Um, I do not recommend you doing this to your child until they can tell you, they can describe to you how they're in pain, when they're in pain. Um, Because me being able to say, feel what told them about the compartment syndrome Mm -hmm. uh, because the pins that are in the bone are essentially open wounds while it's on. Uh, I would get pin infections, but I wouldn't necessarily present like a typical pin infection. Sorry, my dog had a squeaker. <laughs> That's okay. Um, it wouldn't present like a typical pin infection. So like I wouldn't, I, w- I wouldn't get a fever, but it would get very red and hot around the pin site. Um, and I learned later that for me with my radio clubbed hand, having it straightened prior to puberty 20 years later, present day, is actually causing problems now um, because that my wrist is actually starting to regain the L shape. And I just went to Maryland uh, last Monday and was like, hey, you know, what what, what's going on? Right. And they're like, we didn't know when you were a kid. Uh, we, we didn't know that this could happen. Um, and it wasn't their fault. And like we knew, like you said, it was experimental and it was great for 20 years. Uh, and so they're like, well, we could do a surgery where you would not be able to turn your wrist in anymore, but you'd have up and down motion. And I was like, that doesn't really... Uh, appeal to me because having that inward motion that I still have allows me to uh, touch my face and do my hair and things like that. If I didn't have that, that would cause a lot of problems. Right. So you're like, okay, so that's off the table. Uh, At one point it was offered to me that I could get a prosthetic for my left arm. And I had a guy that was going to make me a custom prosthetic and things like that. But insurance companies are an absolute joy. And (laughs) they decided that it was not a medical necessity and that they would rather pay for surgeries on my right arm 
because now I've had surgeries on my right arm because I basically overuse my right arm. Right. So I may or may not fight it out again with a prosthetic company. That's to be determined. Um, And then the other thing is I'm going to try and build up the muscles on my pinky side or on the side um, to try and prevent the curvature inward. But it's, I'm just going to have to see how it goes. Uh, right, yeah. This whole thing, said, was basically 20 years in the making. Uh, started when I was 10, and I'm 31 now. And, you know, I don't fault the doctors in any way. I don't, or anything like that. Um, and this doesn't happen to everyone. But I think it's really important to recognize that every surgery Every prescription, every procedure, every everything uh, has its risks, and not everyone is going to react the same, mm-hmm. and there are definitely good things that can come from it, but having that informed consent and knowing what you could be getting into is, I think, really important. I, and, I, I agree. Yes. Very, very true. And I'm just trying to. So you were saying that this was because of before puberty. Now, uh, would you say that it would have been if you could do if you could rewind back in time? Do you think it would have been a lot better if you waited till you were older to get all the like the straightening and the surgeries that you were getting? Do you think that would have helped? Like, like, do you think they would have been better to wait is what I'm asking? I mean, so if you go to look at the. The, the pictures I have posted, the first round of frames, it was silver. Like I said, I used a wrench. Uh, it was very, we'll call it basic. Mm-hmm. Um, the second round that I did where I had the compartment syndrome, uh, it's now black. And instead of using a wrench, there was like a built-in turn thing. And it actually told you how many millimeters it was stretching. Okay. Um, so they so got a little it, more advanced. They got more advanced. <laughs> and now... They actually don't really do the full two halos on the outside for some kids. Um, it's all internal. And so there's only a small portion of the fixator that's sticking out. So it's less cumbersome. It's less invasive and things like that. So they're definitely innovating and advancing as they go along. And, I mean, anything is possible. Um, but... You know, my mom actually didn't want me to have the second round of surgeries because they had told her all these risks. Mm-hmm. And one of the risks was compartment syndrome and losing feeling in your hand. And both of those things happened. And um, each frame is supposed to be on about three to four months. The first one that I had was on five to six. The second one uh, was actually on from May of 2004 to March of 2005 because ideally yeah, that's a lot longer that's oh. a lot longer yeah. because what was happening is as I'm slowly stretching the bone ideally the bone is trying to grow back together it's just we're stretching it far enough that it can't form a solid join and reheal until it, we stop turning so I remember going out to Maryland because we went about every three weeks for four years. My mom and I did. And we, they took an x-ray and they said, we have to start going backwards. And I said, what? 
They said, your bone isn't trying to grow back together anymore. There's actually a large gap in between the two ends of the broken bone. We need to start compressing it back together. Um, and we need to use a bone stimulator, which is like ultrasound waves mm-hmm. and things like that. I've heard of that. To yeah. try and stimulate the bone growth. Rick, that, the compressing, hurt 20 times worse than pulling it apart. Oh. I don't know why or how, but it did. Um, that that was excruciating. Uh, and how long did they did you have to do the compressing? Like was I, that I, like months of this or? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So like if I had it in May, we probably found out August or September ish, maybe October. And so then we had to start crunching it back together for a few months. And then once we stop turning, you have to let it sit to let the bone heal. And then Mm. the frame would come off and then you'd go into a cast. So that March 2005 was just from when the frame got off. And then I had a cast on for another six to eight weeks or something like that. So that second round was almost a full year. When it was supposed to be... (laughs) Five months total. It's a long time to be yeah. healing. I'm just, it's a lot of, I'm thinking of the strain even on your body, like healing. You Like basically from the time you were born, your body's been in this healing uh, mode. And, and it just, it's crazy. I'm just thinking about that. Like you're trying to get, the, like stretch the bone out and, you know, pull it apart so you can start getting it, like get some length, like, like get it longer. And then all of a sudden they tell you, no. Now we got to go back the other way. It must have been so frustrating. That's the only thing I can think of. It would be so frustrating. And then you say that's 10 times more painful when you were compressing than when they were pulling apart. Yeah, wow. the, it was. I was supposed to get about three inches in length, and I probably only got about two. Jeez. Okay. So, Whew. yeah, that all happened. Um, and I was being teased so much that – one month into eighth grade, I switched from a Catholic school to the local public school um, and then went to a public high school and things like that. And in the public uh, middle school, I was an oddity. Um, you know, kids would want to be my quote unquote buddy because you couldn't bump into my arm. If you bumped into my arm, it was super painful. So I always had like two people walking in front of me in the hallway between class times. So they got out of class early and they got to get to class late. And so everyone wanted to be my friend at that point. Right. Um, and, you know, then I went to the public high school and went to uh, college I got my bachelor's in cellular and molecular biology and I thought I wanted to be a genetic counselor. And then I decided that I couldn't give parents bad news every day. That's so, true. Yeah. but I loved science. So I was like, okay, well I'll go work in the lab. And I also had a fascination with uh, bacteria and viruses and the immune system and I was um, I loved the book The Hot Zone and not that it was out at the time but like the movie Contagion and things like that I loved those types of things right right 
So, sound, that sounds very similar. I was when I heard you tell your story, I was like, that is something I was very interested to at a at a younger age. Yeah. Was I really wanted to work in like a bio lab and all my friends thought I was crazy. My family thought I was crazy. Like I just wanted to learn about like the body and what like and I have all these diseases that are out there, what's causing them and how they work and how you can try to stop them. And I th- and I think I got I really kicked in when I got my my uh, the ankylosis and spondylitis that I got diagnosed with. I really wanted to kind of learn about that i was because so when you're telling your story kind of just like wow and even with the catholic school part because i went into from grade one to eight i was in an elementary uh catholic school and it was horrible mm-hmm. it was horrible like i i still have the residual effects from that that i that are still there i'm well aware of them and i call them my shadows that i deal with that these things that i picked up in public school because the kids were just horrible and and i was at that time i didn't have anything I was normal. I didn't have any ailments or anything like that. I was kind of an oddity too. I was very curious and questioned the teachers and the priest, and they didn't like that. So oh, I, yeah, I, I was, dev- yeah, I, oh, I was in the office all the time. So and having parents called on me and like coming in to get me because I would ask questions. But I'm thinking for you at that having these problems, it would have been so much harder teasing. That's why I was asking about it because I just know how much kids can be cruel. They really can be. And so I, I think that, you know, it's cool that you talk about that because I think we've all experienced that at some degree or other uh, growing up that, you know, and I just thought like with you having all these problems, I'm sure that they weren't kind to you at times. Oh, no, they weren't. Honestly, though, some of my crazier stories about teasing uh, happened as an adult and not in That's interesting. school. Really? Yeah. That says a lot, actually. That speaks volumes. It shows you how much how adults are <laughs> and, and have no compassion or something or treat people different. That's for sure. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Uh... Like sum up of that for sure. But so, uh, anyways, I'm interested in the schooling. So, how did you continue going in the direction of the sciences? How uh, very interested in this part of it. Yeah. So, I, I got my bachelor's, like I said, in cellular and molecular biology. And I was applying to grad school and I specifically chose grad schools that had uh, either BSL-3 or BSL-4 labs. Most of them were just BSL-3. And for those who don't know, there's typically four classifications of labs. Uh, One is you're working on a bench and think more chemicals um, or things that aren't going to make you sick. Two is you should, you know, wear gloves in a lab coat and things like that. Um, But unless you take a vial of something in and swallow it, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Two plus is this weird middle thing where uh, you should work in a hood. So it takes the airflow and it pushes it out and purifies it as opposed to, you know, you breathing the same air, but you're still wearing just a lab coat and gloves, nothing special. Mm-hmm. BSL-3, where I worked, was you had to wear the spacesuits, um, and you had, so scrubs, uh, like a spacesuit, like a special respirator, so not just like a mask, but an actual respirator with its own oxygen and its own airflow. Um, so you and, were with the serious stuff then. When you're wearing that, you're with the stuff that can kill you quickly. Well, that's what the stuff that the way I describe it is if you puncture a glove or your airflow fails or whatever, 
you could get sick and there's likely a vaccine for it. Um, but you're probably going to have to go in the hospital because they're going to have to treat you. Like you're likely going to get sick. Okay. Level four where I never worked was if you get exposed, you're likely going to die. And that stuff like Ebola and smallpox and things like that. That's the big boy stuff. That, that's the big boy stuff. <laughs> so I never worked in a four, but I worked in a three. And I, that's what I did in grad school. So I got my master's uh, eventually in, in infectious diseases and microbiology. And I thought that I was saving the world. Uh, I thought that um, I was doing something good and I was making these vaccines and I was had a really cool job and I was going to go work for the CDC or Fort Detrick in Maryland. And, um, you know, I couldn't serve in the military because of my hand, mm -hmm. but I could protect U.S. citizens and I could protect the military by developing these vaccines and I thought I was doing good. Right. Um, my So a master's program is typically two years. So I went, I finished my first year and five days to a week or so after um, I finished classes, but before I took like my practical, which is where I did, like, talk about a paper and things like that. Uh, I was walking across the street and I had a crosswalk. It told me to walk and it was the super funky intersection. But basically I was hit by an oncoming car as a pedestrian and I flew into the street and I basically the left side of my body wrapped around the front of a Ford Escape. So my hip hit like where the grill, uh, my left calf uh, hit where the bumper was for the longest time. I had an indent there. Uh, my shoulder hit the hood. My head hit the hood. Um, and I flew backwards and I had a backpack on and I landed in the street. And Jeez. I remember kind of waking up and not really knowing what happened, knowing I'm in pain, realizing I'm in the road realizing I need to get out of the road right. and trying to get up and just being in a, in a ton of pain. And I later realized it was the gentleman who hit me. He came and he picked me up under my armpits and he had me almost basically standing. Gee, saying, that's the worst thing you could do to somebody. I know. That, geez. And he's saying, get up, walk. You okay? You Okay. <laughs> and I'm, I just remember screaming and I remember seeing a gentleman in fatigues running towards me and screaming, put her down, put her down, put her down. Right. right. And um, I remember another lady came over because I had a backpack on. So if you think about it, if you're lying on the ground with a backpack, your head is going to kind of want to touch the cement, but like bend backwards awkwardly. Right. Yeah. And so I remember someone had like put something under my head. Um, I remember the a woman, she's like, I'm going to call your mom. She's like, what's your mom's number? So I rattle off my mom's number and my mom tells me now, she's like, in, like most people, if a number you don't know calls you, you don't typically answer. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. Uh, she was getting ready to go into a meeting. And for some reason, she answered. And this woman is trying to explain to my mom what happened. And my mom is not comprehending the fact that I was a pedestrian. And she's asking these questions. And the woman is finally like, no, she was walking. She's laying in the road. Right. And at this point, I was like, I think it was like a seven hour drive from where I was going to grad school to where my parents lived. And because of all the surgeries I've had previously, and um, I'm allergic to different medications and things like that, um, you know, the EMTs come, they're trying to put me on the stretcher. My left leg is laying all weird and stuff. And they're like, We're, we can give you something for pain. No, I don't want anything for pain. And they're right. like, what do you mean? I was like, no, <laughs> I need to talk to a doctor. I don't trust you guys. I need to talk to a doctor. I have allergies. Like, we'll, we'll tell the doctor. I was like, no, I'm not taking any pain medication. And they're like, okay. Most <laughs> people be screaming for pain meds at this point. Right? right? <laughs> I think at this point I'm in shock, to be honest with you. For I wasn't sure. feeling much. I was in shock. Because I remember... And this is, I remember bits and pieces. So it's not a full cohesive story as I remember. Um, I remember then being in the back of the ambulance and somehow my phone still worked. It flew across, you know, the road still worked. No scratches. I don't know. Anyway, I uh, get on the phone with my mom and she's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, but I think my hip is broken. Oh, look, I'm at the hospital. I have to go now. Love you. Bye. In that tone. And I hung up on her. <laughs> I'm picturing your mom. Was like, what is going on here? Right? Right? So then they wheel me into the trauma bay. And I'm in a state where my mom had a friend who lived in kind of in the area, like 45 minutes away. But otherwise, I had no family. Um, there was no one really there. And they wheel me in and I'm listing off my medical history. And I can see the look on this doctor's face like, <laughs> what did we just get ourselves into? <laughs> right. And I also have a uh, severe allergic reaction to contrast dye. I'd gone into anaphylactic shock when I had it. So I explain all of this and then I finally consent to pain meds. And then they try and tell me they're going to have to give me contrast dye for my bladder to make sure that a piece of my pelvis, which ended up being broken, didn't pierce my bladder. And I'm fighting them because I'm conscious enough to be able to still give consent. No one else can give consent for me. That's true. And they're like, we need to do this. And I was like, no, you're not. I was like, I'm going to go into anaphylactic shock. No, you're not doing this. No, you're not doing this. Mm-hmm. They're like, it's different stuff. It's okay. I was like, I don't believe you. This isn't good. And it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, finally, they convinced me and they did it. It was something different. I didn't have a reaction. Um, but at this point, I'm in so much pain. I ended up having five broken bones in my pelvis, a broken left clavicle, a broken left shoulder blade, and a traumatic brain injury. And Jeez. they were trying to put a catheter in me and 
unsuccessful because apparently they never took an anatomy class and I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> and um, it was a whole host of things. And I remember screaming because I'm in so much pain. And anyone who's had multiple broken bones or even if you have a hurt body part, but then stub your toe, you're only going to recognize your toe for a second. It, exactly. Your body can only recognize the most intense pain. Yep. Yep. And I'm screaming, I'm in so much pain. And this nurse looks over at me because I'm still in a C collar. And she goes, you need to stop. I was like, I need more pain meds. She goes, I don't know how you're still awake. And if we give you any more, you're going to OD. Right. Heard but that because before. I'd given, I'd been given so much as a child. Now my pain threshold is so high. Mm-hmm. My metabolism for these drugs is so high. That when I needed them, they weren't working. Yep. Big drawback. That's another thing with taking pain meds, right? You get, a, you get good at taking them and immune to them. Yes. So, yeah, you go to a hospital, they want to give you the standard little dose that they give somebody, and you're like, ah, oh, that ain't going to cut it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, what are you, a drug addict? And I'm like, no, I just been through shit. Yeah, I've just been, yeah, I've just been through the ropes. Yeah, no, I get it. Like, But I'm just like, at the time, we got about one minute before a break, so I want you to continue after the break Yes. Uh, with the story. But, uh, yeah, this is incredible. I, like, Jeez, like I remember that when hearing it in your story, like what you went through with getting your arms, like working on your arm and trying to get that sorted out. And then you're going to school. You're doing what I wanted to do was definitely working in these bio labs. And then this happens. I'm like, geez, like it's incredible. It gets (laughs) crazier. It just, yeah. And that's (laughs) what I was going to say. It gets crazier. And I'm just like, it's incredible. And I just think like speed bumps, you definitely ran into a patch of those for sure. Yes. Uh, and but the the fact that you're here and doing your show and talking to people and bringing people's stories forward to let people know that you know you can get through this kind of stuff and that we all kind of go through it. I think it's very special and, and needed, as I was saying at the beginning. So uh, definitely, uh, the break is here though, Ellie. So in about five minutes, guys, we will be back. We are here with Ellie from Speed Bumps. That's her name of her podcast, so I hope you guys check it out. I'll leave a link in the, the, the chat room so you guys can check it out. Please do. Lots of great interviews there, guys. So we'll be back in five minutes. Listen to Revolution Radio at freedomflips.com. We'll be right back after this message. Revolution Radio, 
freedomslips.com, number one listener-supported radio, the printing press for freedom at a time when freedom is needed the most. I am Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. I will defend myself against their tyranny. Number three is my radio broadcast. I'm squarely in front of the public all the time, and they all know what's going on. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. Hello, my name is John Wayne. And I do a broadcast here at freedomslips.com, revolution.radio, called The Unequivocal Truth, DEFCON 1. Freedom and fear are at war. And folks, I assure you, we are in Defense Condition 1, as we journey perilously through this paradigm that we currently reside in. And I ask that you join me every Saturday, 8 to 10 p.m., Eastern Standard Time for the Unequivocal Truth, DEFCON 1. The original machine had a base plate of prefamulated amulite surmounted by a malleable logarithmic casing in such a way that the two spurving bearings were in a direct line with a panometric fan. The lineup consisted simply of six hydrocoptic marzal veins, so fitted to the ambifacient lunar wane shaft that side fumbling was effectively prevented. The main winding was of the normal lotus o deltoid type placed in panendermic semi-boloid slots of the stator, every seventh conductor being connected by a non-reversible tremie pipe to the differential girdle spring on the up end of the gram meters. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio, taking the confusion out of transmutated lunar girdle springs for four years and running. Revolution Radio, the number one listener-supported alternative media radio on the planet. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Welcome back, everybody. It is hour two. We are here in the crypt. We are with Ellie, and her podcast is called Speed Bumps, which I think is, as I said, an incredible name for a show. And her show is amazing. So I hope you guys do check it out. I will make sure to leave uh, links in the chat room for you guys. So please check it out. She has a lot of great interviews on there with, you know, talking to everyday people who talk about the, you know, struggles they've been through and some of the traumas they've been through and, you know, their speed bumps. 
and that there is a way to get through them. There is a way that you can get past them and that we all have them. So, I mean, you, as we were saying, we all got them and it's just whether or not, you know, you have you have the strength to get through them, deal with them and keep moving forward. And I just think that her interviews that she does with people who talk about these things is something that's needed because I think a lot of people when they go through traumas and through you know, trials in their life, they kind of get, I know I did. I felt that I was like the only one. You kind of get this mindset that you're the only one going through this. You're the only one dealing with these things. And then you, when you start to reach out and talk to people, you start to realize you're not alone in this. And a lot of people are going through a lot of different things. And uh, it's great to kind of connect with people. And I think that that her podcast does that perfectly. So welcome back, Ellie, to hour two. Thank you. Yeah. I heard someone say recently, uh, they basically had to pick their pain. You know, did they want to deal with the pain that they were in or did they want to try and do something about it? Mm -hmm. Um, And that episode is actually going to come out Wednesday. But I I love that. Pick your pain. Like you can either sit there and cry about it or you can do something about it. Either one. They're both probably going to hurt. But which pain do you want to be in? Right. And that sounds really, really harsh, but it's also really true. It's very true. And I, I always tell people, are you going to let your con- whatever pain you're going through, if you have a condition or and it can be anything. I, it's very personal for everybody what they're going through and the speed bumps they're going through in their life. But I always tell people, do you want to be defined by that? Do you uh, do you in my case, I was like, I do never want to give my disease the control that it like it where to the point where it controls me. And everything I do. So it's something I fight against every day. And it's a conscious thing I have to do every day because a lot of the times you do feel like giving up and the pain gets overwhelming and you get overwhelmed. But there's a time where you got to kind of like say enough's enough and start pushing forward. So it's a yeah. great way that you said it. Pick your pain. That's a good that's a good one. Yeah. And I mean, it's not to say that people don't have bad days, but it's just don't stay in those bad days. Exactly. And a lot of people do. You yeah. know, I know I did for a lot I, of years. So I'm, did I. <laughs> yeah, I lived in that. I, I got involved in drinking, uh, became an alcoholic. I, I'm not saying the path, the path I took was the way to do it. Um, but getting my disease at such a young age, I just really, you know, you don't have the coping skills when you're like 16 or 17 years old. You barely know your own identity at that age. Right. And, you know, when you get hit with something like that and then you have doctors telling you things at that time that I know now aren't true. But they were telling me at that age, I, you know, I didn't know how to deal with it. So that's where I turned. And some people do deal with it definitely better and some maybe worse. But it was definitely a a learning process that I had to work through. Um, So I get it. And I just think that you connecting people and people hearing the stories that you bring forward is very, it's, it's encouraging and it's neat. I keep saying it's needed because it is. People feel alone when they're in those states. I think they, they really do. get into this isolated state where they're like, I, they're the only ones in this suffering state. And it's great to talk to people who have been there or currently there and working their way through it or have worked their way through it and to show that there is hope. I think it's so important to show that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't meet someone who had an arm like mine until I was 21 or 22. So maybe, you know, once the internet became more popular and social media and things like that, I saw pictures Mm-hmm. But I didn't see someone physically in person who looked like me until I was twenty one, twenty two. Wow! And so, how was that when you did finally connect? Like, was it a? I'm just wondering. Like, was it like you finally felt like I'm not alone? There's other. Like, I felt like I wasn't alone. She had seen people like you know her before, so it wasn't as big of a deal for her. Um, and we didn't really 
form like a lifelong connection or best friends or anything but I definitely went home that night and I was like overwhelmed and I cried because I had that realization that I wasn't alone like conceptually I knew I wasn't alone but until I saw it in person that's when I realized I really wasn't yeah I was the same way with my disease too I kind of felt like I because I never for years and years and years I never met anyone that had my condition or knew anyone that had it and then like you said with kind of like the internet and I started talking about it. And then people would reach out and they were like, oh, my, you know, my uncle's got it or my dad's got it or somebody else has got it. And then you kind of realize like, wow, it's there is people out there. So it's a good part of the Internet, I guess we could say. Social yeah. media has got a lot of bad things going against it. But, it, you know, we can use it for good. Absolutely. You know, so, yeah, right. I agree. Amazing. So let's go back to your story. Like we left off at a bad spot. <laughs> hit by a car so, and now you're in the hospital yep in the Jeez. trauma bay um and you know originally they had told me that I just had three broken bones in my pelvis and I would be up and walking in about six weeks um and so my parents had to take me from where I was at back to Michigan and I was in the hospital for about a week and my saving grace was that because I was young, it was as if when the car hit me, everything went in like a pop can and mm-hmm. then it popped back out and went back to where it was. Uh, so I didn't need any plates or screws or anything like that at the time to hold my pelvis in place. Uh, Very I just, lucky. I had to lay in bed for 10 weeks. Um, I was so angry. I couldn't stand the sound of people walking because they, my parents had set up a uh, basically a hospital bed in their dining room. They had a two-story colonial, and that's where I stayed for ten weeks. Um, I had a lot of PTSD. I remember they would push me in a wheelchair to like go across a parking lot to go into a restaurant or something. And the first time they did it, I remember taking my right foot because that was the side that wasn't hit, and I was dragging it under the cement under me. Because uh, I couldn't push a wheelchair, right? Because you typically need two hands to do that. So it was mm-hmm. one of the wheelchairs that I had to be pushed in, like a transport chair. And dragging my foot under me because I was so terrified of being hit again. Um, it took a lot for me to overcome that. I mean, years. It took uh, called EMDR therapy. It. I was on medication for a really long time. Um, getting back to myself was really hard uh, right. because of the traumatic brain injury. Um, I couldn't watch a show. I couldn't read a paper. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't read a scientific journal. Uh, none of that. Uh, it was like I had developed ADD. Um, it Everything was so scrambled up in there. And so it took a really long time. But if I was hit in May of 2014, May 6, 2014. And my grad school was kind enough to allow me to not have to return to classes in that August. At that point, I just started to walk. But I was told if I did not return to classes in January of 2015, that I would lose my spot and have to reapply. So I am the type of person, given my arm and everything else, you tell me I have to do something or that I can't do something. My answer is, oh, yeah, watch me. So I went back and resumed my master's degree in January of 2015 with a traumatic brain injury and 
made it through the first semester and they allowed me to do the second one, the the very last part of my degree remote, because being in that apartment, um, having to cross that street, things like that, it was all too much and understandably so. I agree. That's something that people don't talk about. I think when they, especially if they get hit by a car, the the PTSD that you would have from that. I mean, I I would be scared to ever cross it. If I got hit like you did, I'd be scared to ever go near a car, a road, cross a road out of the question. Oh, it, was, it took it it, yeah. it took years. You know, trying to go to the grocery store. You know, because like I said, I was in a different state as my parents. Um, so go to the grocery store. Even though I had a handicap sticker, you still have to cross part of a road to get you typically to the front of the store. Right. And there'd be times because they have like those little islands that have like the wood chips or whatever. Sometimes they have a tree in them and I would stand on them and I'd be paralyzed for anywhere from a couple of minutes to 15 to 20 minutes. And I'd have to call my mom or I'd have to call somebody and they'd basically have to talk me down. Um, but just simply crossing that little part of a parking lot to get into a store was a feat. And mm. it was really draining. Um, and, you know, the medications they had me on honestly didn't help. I couldn't tell you what they are now, but I was having side effects from them. And instead of, you know, sometimes they'd put me on a different one or they would just be like, oh, you're having this side effect. Let's just give you another prescription. Yeah, uh, at one answer. point, I was on like eight of them. Uh, All which come with their own side effects. Yep. Never mind when you start mixing them, which I, I I try to warn people. I'm like, if you're on all these medications, they all have their own side effects, and then you're mixing them with all these other ones. So then you're making like a, a stew <laughs> of right. mess. You know that God knows what they're doing in your body. Like to be honest. So, uh, eventually, I weaned myself off of most of them. Um, in the summer of. 2016 uh, I moved with my now ex-husband to Connecticut and I then started and I'm I was still having like some PTSD symptoms and things like that still on some of the medications um, but in January of 2017 I started working for Big Pharma which was one of my dreams and I like I said thought I was doing the right thing thought I was doing good mm-hmm. um and there would be things that would come up, you know, like the side effects of all the medications or things like that. Um, but I just wrote it off as I'm such a complex case and I'm abnormal. Um, of course, they didn't know about me. Of course, it's not it's not the doctor's fault. I'm just abnormal. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm such a complex case. And. I just kind of wrote it off as that. And there were the bad doctors and things like that. Um, but it wasn't. I tried to write those off. Oh, but grad school, I forgot to tell you about the jerks who were adults. Oh, so my I can first, imagine. So my first day of grad school, I was wearing a shirt that said, I remember if it was 10 fingers or overrated or one of the names of the groups I had been involved in. Anyway, they asked me what it was about and I told them and they looked at my left arm and then they looked up at me and this woman had to be in her late forties, early fifties in grad school. And she looks at me in a common area with 
20 to 30 other people who can hear this woman and heard this conversation. And she looks at me and she goes, your arm is absolutely disgusting. Jeez. And I looked at her and I basically turned around and walked away because no one stood up for me. No one said anything. Um, I didn't, I was just in shock. Went yeah, home that you, night. Jeez, you don't expect that from an adult, right? Like, right, right. Went home that night, and I, I, like, I thought I was fine, but it turned out I was just in shock. Ended up sobbing that night, and I was like, I just had the worst first day of school ever, and I was in a new state all by myself, didn't have anybody, no friends. Like, that was the worst first day of school ever. I can um, imagine, yeah. I ended up telling the dean about it, and they were horrified. And I was like, my only ask is I never have to be in a class with her. Like, I never want to be, have to be in the same room as her. Like, let her do her and me do me. Like, but I never want to have to interact with her. Right. And they're like, no worries. You do not have to. It's fine. Okay. So then like a month later, uh, I start doing lab rotations to work one of them in the BSL-3. And the lab manager, uh, in order to work in a BSL-3, you have to take off your street clothes and you would have to put on scrubs and then all these other things. And at this point, I'm 21, 22 years old, living by myself, perfectly taking care of myself. And she looks at me and um, goes, well, since you're dressed, I'm going to assume you can dress yourself and put on scrubs. <laughs> and I said, yeah, and I can braid my own hair, too. And she slaps both of her legs and goes, Really? And she wasn't kidding. That's crazy. So at this point, I'm like, what is in the water here? Like, people are jerks. Yeah. And there's like, it was like the office of, I don't know, some like disability rights office within the university. Because I knew that what they were doing and what was happening wasn't legal. And okay. How do you mean? So they were discriminating against me because I was disabled. Right. Okay. okay. And in the United States, that is illegal. Exactly. Um, under Title IX and against the Americans with Disabilities Act and things like that. So I knew that, you know, obviously the girl or the woman um, was just a jerk. Uh, but they, they weren't allowed to ask me if I could dress myself. They weren't allowed to make these assumptions about me. And so I went to this office. And I spoke with a gentleman and he was just, you know, like a regular, we'll call him entry level. Ends up getting his boss involved. Ends up being like the lab manager. It was like a few weeks later. It was like the lab manager, two people or three people from the disability office. Uh, one of the women who I may have worked in her lab, the dean of my school ended up showing up, even though I didn't call her or notify her i had my dad drive up because i felt like i was in trouble even though i did nothing wrong mm -hmm. and my dad basically ends up going listen we're not gonna sue you but you can't keep doing this and telling her she can't do something or assuming she can't do something without giving her a chance is not okay she's died once Almost died a second time. You have no idea what she's been through. And you're going to give her a chance 
and that's going to be the end of this. And they did. Um, the lab manager miraculously found a new job a few months later. <laughs> um, I'm sure it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they were just jerks. And then I moved to Connecticut. And before I worked with pharma, I was working in a daycare for a bit. And so I do get a physical. And it was just a very basic physical. And the woman looks at me, or the doctor, let me preface this. The doctor looks at me and goes, are your parents related? I said, excuse me? That's a weird question. Are, are your parents related? I said, no, why? She goes, well, that would explain you in gestures to my arm and my body. And I was like, I could not believe this just came out of this woman's face. I said, I no, can't they're not. It. I know. I'm in shock right now. She's like, well, are you sure? She asked me like three or four times. <laughs> and I ended up calling the office manager later. And I was like, just so you know, this happened and this is not okay. And they were mortified. And at first they tried to do the whole, well, she's not from this country. And I was like, I don't give a F where right. she's from. Uh, this is not okay. So honestly, adults are worse in many cases than children. <laughs> I, I I agree, and I'm just I can't believe that she said something like that to you. Even and then people say, well, maybe she was joking or something. Well, nope, she was no. not joking. Yeah, and I mean, if it was a joke, I mean, that's got to be the most poor humor I've right? ever seen. Like, I mean, how do you justify that saying anything? I I would be so in shock if the doctor said that. I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be like, what is going on here? Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and none of those people were kidding. So, yeah, um, moved to Connecticut, started working for pharma, um, didn't get certain positions. Like, I would I would be like, I'd want to work on animals. And all the training would be scheduled. I'd ask for an accommodation. Um, I would have everything that I would need. Like, I would list it out. And then all of a sudden, that spot was no longer open. Uh, this happened a couple times. And then. So, the they, world, you think they were they were roadblocking you? Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, That's crazy. So then the world went crazy. <laughs> so I, I had surgery on my right arm because I had overuse syndrome. And then the world went crazy um, in, you know, the beginning of 2020. And at this point, um, end of 2019, I met my now husband. And he helped me escape a abusive marriage. And That's good. Uh, you know, like I said, the world went crazy and I was commuting a long distance for within the first pharmaceutical company. So I found one that was closer. And when I met my husband, he introduced me to uh, essential oils and crystals and things like that. And I thought it was a bunch of woo woo BS because mm -hmm. I'm a scientist and those things don't work. And, um, pharma is good and the cdc can do no wrong and of course the fda is right and that's that was me yeah. but i also respected other people at different beliefs and so i was like sure you want to do this you go right ahead and i had gotten a really bad cough and it was, it was almost like bronchitis but this was before the world went crazy so i didn't have the c word supposedly i don't know right. COVID. yeah anyway can it can i say that word is that okay you can say COVID all okay. you want yeah so it was before covid but it was like covid <laughs> Um, but no one knew what it was. And I was coughing and I was 
uh, on breathing treatments and things like that. Nothing was working. And so one night he goes, can I just put some essential oils in a diffuser next to the bed? And I was so desperate. I was like, I don't think it's going to work. But at this point, it's not going to hurt. So why not? Yeah, let's fire it up. <laughs> yeah, why not, right? And it was the first night I slept. And I was like, all right, maybe there's something to this. And then there was crystals and things like that. And then I started working for this other pharma company. So now I'm in this, I'm leaning more towards natural health, but still working for pharma. And I'm seeing the propaganda in the media now of the testing and the vaccines and all of this stuff. And this pharma company, um, they were not treating me well. I was coming home stressed. You know, I was basically working from 6, 30, 7 o'clock in the morning to 9, 10 o'clock at night, most nights, weekends, like wanting me to be on call. Uh, it, it was absurd. Yeah, that's a lot of hours. It, it was absurd. And um, and was that a that must this must have been hard. This must I'm thinking this is another speed bump because you are in the you're working for big pharma. And you have the scientific mind, and I and I'm bringing this up because I've I've interviewed so many people on the show that were that went through this in the last few years that they were part of like the medical system, and then they saw what was going on, and they started learning about natural health, and they were started researching more and looking at that. So now you're kind of in this spot where you're you're big pharma, and you want to believe what they're doing is right, and that they got best interest, but then you see what they're doing. And then you're looking and learning about the natural homeopathic ways and they're starting. How was that like for you mentally and how did you deal with that? Like that was it must have been tough, I would think. I mean, it was. I mean, to be honest with you, when I, when I met my husband, um, I was like a Sunday school teacher. I thought science was great. Pharma was great. CDC and FDA could do no wrong. Mm -hmm. Doctors sometimes made mistakes. But like I said earlier, I was just a complex case. And he shattered my world. And it's a 180. And for sure, you know, yeah. are there times and places for big pharma and things like that and surgeries? Absolutely. Um, you know, if heaven forbid I'm hit by a car again, please bring me to a trauma bay. Um, <laughs> but once I'm stable, I want my essential oils. I want my natural things. Um, you know, I recently had a tooth pulled. And yeah, I was using Motrin 800 for a bit because it really hurt and nothing Isn't else. Isn't that was great weak. stuff for a toothache? I just went through that, as you know, too. I went through yeah. a face infection. That stuff rocks for that. <laughs> so I'm not opposed to it. Okay. But, but it I has feel, its place. It has, but its, it has place. its place. Yeah. Yes. And we're never taught about, you know, homeopathics or crystal healing or even how that works or sound healing or uh, essential oils or herbs or anything like that. We're just told that's a bunch of woo woo, right? That doesn't work. Yeah. And, and we got a pill for anything that you need. We got a pill right, for it. Right. And, you know, vaccines are the cure all and everyone should do it. And they're great. And um, that account that I mentioned earlier, just the inserts on Instagram uh, and also the website by the same name, just the inserts.com. I started reading some of their stuff and I realized I had been indoctrinated and not educated. And I was upset with myself because I was a scientist. I was supposed to research and not take things on blind faith. 
Mm-hmm. And that is essentially what I had been doing was accepting things on blind faith and not actually researching for myself. So I started, I, I became a real scientist and started researching for myself and not just believing what I was told because science is not a religion and realized a lot of the things I'd been told was wrong. And what I find interesting is those who are liberal minded, I will say, when they find out that I left pharma, not one of those people has ever asked me why I left big pharma. Now, if they're more conservative minded, they have always asked. But if they're liberal minded, they will never ask me. They have never asked me. They just go, huh, that's really interesting. And that's it. That's weird, eh? Like, jeez. So I'm just, I'm just curious. That's really weird. Are you just uh, my husband describes it as those who are liberal minded or not open minded uh, won't ask questions that may burst their bubble of belief, whatever true. their bubble of belief is, you know, and that could even be for a Trump supporter. Right. So you could be completely diehard Trump. But if I bring up something that's in question for him. You're never going to ask me about it because that would burst your bubble of belief. Right. And a lot of people are in those states for many different things. They're all in these bubbles and they refuse to look at anything new or that doesn't go along with what they believe or their bubble. And they're not taking in any new knowledge. Yes. It's very, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people get, are in that state for sure. Yeah, a lot of people have this mindset and they're not open to it. And I mean, for the longest time, I wasn't either. Um, 2020, as cliche as it is, really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Me too. And, you know, now I'm sitting here on my desk and I'm looking at a bunch of essential oils. I have crystals out. Um, I do sound healing. Uh, I became an energy healer. because I, I, I couldn't do big pharma anymore. I couldn't. I went into science to help people. And I realized the science I was doing, especially vaccines, wasn't helping people. It was hurting people. That's right. And Amazing. people can come at me for that, for saying vaccines hurt people. But I can back up that. So you can be mad at me if you want to. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. I mean, if you, yeah, you worked with it. So I, and that's incredible. That I'm so happy, though, that you, that you came to that conclusion like and you started to realize that and that's cool that your husband actually was the one who kind of uh like brought it to you aware like brought it to you and then you got to the point where you're like okay i'll try it because i think that they it's definitely big pharma like they like we were just saying they have a pill for everything and that's their solution i've always and i've always had this argument with doctors i'm like you guys never talk about health they right. never talk about, you know, and yes, you can go to a dietitian and you can do all of these things. But I'm just saying as you go to a, a normal doctor or a general practitioner, they're, they're really not. You got 10 minutes, 15 minutes with them in an office if you're lucky. Yeah. And they're rushing you through and they're just like, what is the symptom? What is it? They're not trying to get to the bottom of anything. They're just throwing Band-Aids on everything. Absolutely. And it's so frustrating. And then I get I get so angry because it's like no wonder our health is the way it is. And then, like you said, in 2020, like that opened my eyes drastically. I, knew, I always knew the system was messed up. I knew that the big pharma had a major problems. But in tw- when they started with the whole vaccine and then boosters and this whole fear campaign that they have been unleashing on people for the last few years and 
uh, it just really woke my it woke me up too to how bad it really was. And so, yeah, I know I I fought with people in my own family about vaccines because some of them were got them and I won't get it. <laughs> I just won't get it. And I, I've had arguments. I've had disagreements. I've had a few family members stop speaking to me. Uh, friends that won't speak to me. It's crazy. Like it really is when people start like uh, that they are not willing to at least look at other information. Yeah, and I feel like that's the key. Wherever you stand politically, um, or your your views on anything, if you're not open to an alternative belief, even mm-hmm. if it's just recognizing that that belief is out there and then just not attacking it, if you can't do that you should maybe look inside yourself and ask why. Exactly. Um, yep. It's just a lot of people, I feel like they have these preconceived notions. And if you challenge them, it's like they, they take it personally, like you're challenging them as a person and instead of the belief or the idea. Right. And just trying to bring new information to them. I, I run into that a lot of the times with people. I'll try to ex- show them something, some new information. I'm not saying, and I always tell them, I'm not saying you have to believe it. You have to anything with it. Just take the time to at least look at it. Like just give it a chance and then take it in. And if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. If you don't think it's for you, that's fine. But at least look at it. I'm at the point where there's people that they won't even, most people won't even look into stuff. If it's not with, uh, Going along with their belief, as you were saying, they just kind of they won't even give it the time of day. They won't even look into it. I think that's so dangerous to be in that state because you have to be willing to admit first that you were wrong about something and maybe it wasn't the best way and then start looking at ways to correct that. But if you're so rigid that you just won't even do that, which I think a lot of people are in that state now more than ever, it's a dangerous spot to be in. I mean, I had to admit that I was wrong. I had to admit that my $200,000 of student loan debt, uh, most of it was BS. Um, did I learn things along the way? Did that journey get me to where I am now? Yeah. But it's you have to be willing to admit that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that's really, really hard. And my thing is, is if I can do it, I feel like a lot of people can do it, but I agree. you have to become comfortable being uncomfortable mm-hmm. because challenging your beliefs isn't fun or easy. hundred percent. I call that. That's why I talk about shadow work all the time on here and that it's the work that you do on yourself. And I think that that's the one thing that people run away from more than anything is confronting themselves and being brutally honest with themselves. I mean, the lies that people tell each themselves every day, are so numerous you can't count them, but we all do it to some mm-hmm. degree. We're all lying to ourselves at some point oh, yeah. about something, and then you, you know, so that shadow work is becoming aware of it, and that you're with these lies that you're telling yourself, or these your question, and then you start questioning these beliefs. That why do you even believe it? Did you did you know was this just something you were told? Was it something you were told to believe? And I just think it's like you're saying a lot of people are very uncomfortable when they have to sit with themselves. And confront themselves and confront the, you know, the shadows inside them. I think a lot of people, that's why they try all this distraction, anything but that. <laughs> like, run oh, yeah. the other way. Don't confront myself because it's it's work and it's like you said, it's very uncomfortable at yeah. times. Yeah, blame someone else for your problems. Oh, you know, yeah. I think that's where a lot of addictions start from. Um, a lot of anger, a lot of different things. And just, yep. but I mean, it's how easy it is nowadays to 
not pay attention to yourself. You have phones, you have a gazillion apps. Um, yeah, social you media. You don't even have to talk to other people. And if you disagree with somebody, you don't actually have to tell them to their face. You can just be a keyboard warrior yep. and you can say whatever you want and there's no repercussions. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I, you, where you're exactly what I talk about is what you're hitting on the distractions that are out there, which I think are there mostly put in, they're there for a reason. They, they put them in place like that because I do think that the people, whatever you want to call them running the world, if you want to call them the elite, you want whatever name you want to give them, social engineers, they keep people in that state of, of always having something to distract them because when you start, when you finally do settle down and put that aside and confront yourself is where the real magic I think happens. I think that's what people, everybody needs to do. It's something I do every day. I, or I try to do every day is sit with myself even for a little bit of time with no distractions, just quiet and with myself and really start digging into myself and finding who I am. Because I think, and I'm sure you'd probably agree that over the years, especially dealing with traumas and that you kind of lose who you are. Or at least I did for a lot of years. I just kind of, didn't even know who I was anymore. And then it really changed when I started to settle myself down and start diving in and examining myself. And it, But the key to is being so – you have to be brutally honest with yourself or it will never work. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of people who have traumas for obvious reasons and reasons I understand and I'm sure you understand, uh, you probably don't want to relive those. Mm -hmm. But the crazy part for me is – the realization that especially physical trauma and all trauma, honestly, um, it's stored in the body, even if we don't realize it. I remember I was having a EMDR session. It's like app, eye movement, rapid desensitization or something. You can look it up. Anyway, uh, it's like a light bar or two things, like two tones in your ears that go back and forth. Um, and only lasts a minute. But basically, I was in one of these little sessions and my left, the side of my head starts twitching to the left. And it wasn't something I was conscious that I was doing, but I realized I was doing it. And I looked at the counselor and I was like, why? Like, why is this happening? Like, what is happening right now? Mm. She goes, it's your body remembering being hit by the car because I have no actual memory of being hit by the car. But my body remembers. And it needed to act, basically act that out. Um, trauma is stored in the body and our body remembers this trauma. And, you know, so you see all these things on Instagram or whatever about how movement is really important um, when you're working through trauma. You want to cry or you want to oh, scream yes. or move or dance or punch something or whatever that looks like. And that's because that trauma is in there and we need to get it out somehow yep. and it's not fun or easy and it can really suck sometimes um yeah a lot of the time for me it was horrible yeah. so, some days it was horrible sometimes and i love the way that you said that you want to feel those emotions i tell people that too that you know you it, that's why it's called shadow work that's why i call it shadow work i know other people do too it's work and uh, when you're dealing with your shadows, I, I even like the term speed bump. Trust me, I really like that. That works just as good for me as shadow work because you're dealing with these traumas, big and small. And I think that 
I, people think that if they got, if they relive it, that they, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. They may get upset. They might get angry. But those emotions, you're having that reaction for a reason. And I love the way that you said that it's stored in there. And even though you're not maybe conscious of it all the time, it's still playing in the background. It's stored right. in you. And if you're not, if you're pushing it down, you're suppressing it. You're not dealing with it. It's causing problems that you don't even, you're not even aware of. And I think that's really cool that you said that, like you have to get be willing to feel it. I really encourage people who like have traumas, especially if they can't, uh, for whatever reason, live out, whether it's, you know, a sexual assault or something that you really don't want to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, EMDR, I highly encourage you to find an EMDR counselor. That saved me when I was hit by the car because I didn't want to remember that there was a lot of, um, traumatic things in there that I didn't want to remember. Um, And now I can talk about it without, you know, crying or getting choked up or things like that. But that took a really long time. And the way EMDR works is it takes those little snippets. So you have this whole memory that's traumatic Mm -hmm. and it'll take little snippets and it reprocesses it so you can talk about it, but it's so it's not as traumatic. So if it's at a nine when you start, you know, nine out of ten, it might come down to a three or a four or even lower. Um, and they have there's there's a process and it's basically you view it like on a like a third party, like you're watching on a TV or you're watching from a moving train. Um, and there's a whole process. I really encourage people to go look it up because that was my saving grace. Cause without that, I don't think I would have been able to process all of the emotions behind my accident. Right. So this just gives you, it's like, it, that sounds, I'm, I'm definitely going to look into this. And it's not talk therapy. It's not like you have to sit there and relive everything. So it's really great for those big traumas and small traumas but especially the big ones that you can't articulate or for various reasons you don't really want want to to (laughs) want to remember and things like that um it it's really fascinating and it really really helped me i i tell people about it and um most counts most emdr counselors will do talk therapy too but emdr is not talk therapy it's very very different um, just, I encourage people to look it up. I'm not an expert at it, but I can tell you that it worked for me. That, and that's great testimony. If it like, that's better than being an expert, in my opinion, if it's working for you, it's got, you know, that's great. And I'm going to look into it for sure. Allie, for sure. I definitely want to start looking into that because I'm kind of on the path that you are to where I'm trying to pull away from. And I've been doing this for years, pull away from those pharmaceuticals and, trying to get off of them, which I've done a great job. I'm extremely happy with where I am and how, like where I've gotten Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to get away from that, uh, that mindset because I was like you, I, I, I got sick so young and I was actually sick as a child, which we can talk about on your show when I tell my story, but I kind of have a lot of illnesses when I like nothing as major as yours, but I was definitely sick child and I had a lot of things that I was going through and I was always told doctor knows best and the doctor yep. cares about you. So I, I've had that mindset for a lot of years. And then it's kind of like I was kind of like that aha moment that you had where I was like, there's this is there's something not right here. And I always noticed that and I kind of ignored it. And then so now I'm loved that I'm on this path of discovering that, there, like you said, herbs and different forms of uh, therapies and 
all of that that ties into the homeopathic field and diet is a big one like they're you know oh, yes. eating a proper diet yeah i think i see what people eat now and i'm just like wow like no wonder people are sick and in the state that they're in uh look at their diet and so but this is all stuff that doctors are not telling people and they should be <laughs> it's no, but frustrating they're afraid to hurt but, but they're afraid to hurt someone's feelings like if someone comes in and they are overweight mm-hmm. and you don't recommend they go on a diet. One, you're a really bad doctor. Mm-hmm. Two, if you just tell them to go on a diet but don't educate them. And those little 100-calorie packs and the low sugar and the easy meals, and the, that's not food, people. That's what I say. If you want to lose weight, go get some raw milk and some grass-fed meat and some fresh fruits and vegetables and maybe you learn how to make your own bread or whatever, like mm-hmm. eat real food. And I think a lot of people would be surprised, but let's be honest, Pop-Tarts and Twinkies and cereal are easy. And, um, you know, you get home late and throwing something in the microwave is easy. Mm-hmm. And we're all about easy and instant gratification. Um, That's so true what you just but, said. Those things are full of junk. And if you're really overwhelmed on where to start, if you, and this is what we taught my stepdaughter, if you go to read the ingredients and it looks like a science experiment or you can't buy those ingredients off the shelf, you probably shouldn't be eating it. Yeah. And that's like, it's super basic, but that's the easiest way for people to start. Because then you're not overloading them with information. You're not doing any of that. And you're not saying, oh, it's this many calories or like you're not counting anything. It's just if it looks like a science experiment, don't eat it. Start there. That's what the person that you feel. Oh, for sure. That's the I'm working with somebody with uh, helping me get my whole health thing back on track and eating and that. Not that I was ever an extremely bad eater. My big thing is I'm not a big eater, so I don't. I'm not somebody that eats a lot, so I, I basically eat when I have to. And so I was never like a, somebody that was always eating junk food and all of that, but my diet was definitely not the greatest. Not varied enough is probably a better word. And uh, she was basically telling me like anything that – she goes by the adage pretty similar to what you just said, but hers is like anything that comes with an ingredient package, like an ingredient label on it, like a big list of like you were saying, mm-hmm. she's like don't eat it. She's like, it It shouldn't have anything on it. Like, so she's like, if you go buy apples, you're buying fruit, vegetables, and it's all fresh. There's no ingredient list on it. It's just, it's right from the ground. It's natural. There's no chemicals in it. That's what people should be eating. Because it's like you said, when you look at what's in our food now, I can't pronounce half of the stuff. Like, it's crazy. Exactly. And, you know, and I recognize that, you know, sometimes you do need, uh, an easy meal or a quick meal or you want to stock sure. your pantry or things like that. And so I'm not so rigid on none of those things, you know, um, heck my husband still eats Twizzlers. Okay. Like I'm not going to take away all junk, but if I can give healthier options, mm-hmm. if I can eat things that don't look like a science experiment or if they happen to, it's a rare occasion. Right. Um, Doing all or nothing, you know, is really hard for people. But just yep. start and most and most people do that too, Ellie. Like I was like like I wanted to do that when I started working on my diet. I wanted to go all in, 
like change the next day kind of like okay i'm yeah. changing everything about my diet and i'm starting tomorrow and this is it and then i realize you can't you have this is something that has to be done over time and gradually yeah. and i think if people a lot of people fall cuz i almost fell into it i was going to do that too i was just going to drastically you know, I, and I see a lot of people all of a sudden they go, I'm vegan now, you know, like they were meat eaters and then within a day they're vegan and they're just eating vegetables and, and their, their body crap, they, they go into like a state of shock almost because. Okay. But also people, Oreos are vegan and that doesn't mean you should eat them. That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good, I can't argue on that one. Like, That's... I won't get into the whole veganism thing or vegetarian thing, but all I'm going to say is. Things can be labeled vegan or vegetarian and also not be healthy, like Oreos. Yep. Okay. Good point. So yeah, very true. <laughs> and I did, but I see a lot of people that do that. I know people like they're all of a sudden, you know, they eat their meat eaters, and then all of a sudden they just right overnight they want to switch into like a whole fruit. But they and vegetable want an diet. easy fix. Exactly. Right. They they want an easy fix. They think, okay, I'm just going to do this one thing, and for some people. Being a vegetarian or a vegan works great. For a lot of people, it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, but everyone is different. And so just like some people have reactions to medications and others don't, I feel like none of that is ever talked about either. You know, you, like I said, you go yeah. to a doctor and they say, oh, you need to go on a diet. Okay, well, what diet? I don't know. Pick one. Well, there's like yeah. 100 diets out there. Yeah, And everybody's different. Uh, that's so true that you say that and it's not a one diet fits all no. kind of thing you've got to kind of find out what works for you and everybody's body's needs are different it's a it's more complex than that too and then when you get i was asking like i was big in the starting to do supplements and then i found that that's a whole new you got to be careful even with that yep. i think a lot of people say oh, i'm just going to start taking handfuls of vitamins and minerals and supplements and all of this and, and then that'll be healthier and then I'm, you find out that that's a dangerous road another just to dive down to without any knowledge and I think the people have to start realizing that they need to gather some knowledge before they're going to make any drastic changes in anything in their life I think and a lot of people just like you said they want it quick and they want it easy and especially now with the way the the society is everybody wants instant gratification instant everything and it's as you were saying, this takes time. This is not something that happens overnight or these getting over these speed bumps, as you call them. This isn't yep. something that happens overnight. This is something that takes time and work on yourself. And you have to be a little patient. And I think a little nicer to yourself at times, too. Well, for the most part, unless there's a traumatic incident, you did not get sick or gain weight overnight. It mm-hmm. took time expecting to eat a salad for a week and that you're going to lose weight is not how that works. Right. You didn't get to this place overnight, the place that you don't want to be. So you're not going to get a place that you want to be overnight either. You know, and supplements can be great, but you need to do your research on the quality and the manufacturer. You need to do understand what those things do in your body um, and the dosage and things like that. And, a lot of that can be really overwhelming for people. So there's practitioners out there who can help you. But my other thing is, is that if you can buy it at a local drugstore, CVS, Walgreens, Target, Walmart, whatever, it's probably not the best quality. And I don't recommend them. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> point too. No, that's a good point to make. That's true because I learned that when I started looking into vitamins and that, and I thought like, you know, just any vitamin would do. And then when you start doing any amount of research, 
you start to realize that the quality of of vitamins and minerals is, is very important. The like it really is like I and I didn't even realize that. So I I like the person I'm speaking to about my health is very big on you know supplements. They have their place like everything else, and vitamins have their you know take that that has their place. But if you can get it from the actual vegetable or whatever that's yep. the way you want to go like you know that yeah, supplements are great but why not just get it from the real food <laughs> that you can yeah. buy and you know everyone's different um but yeah my biggest thing is if you can buy it from a local store a big box store i will say it's mm-hmm. probably not good quality um anything gummy any all the gummy vitamins or whatever don't do anything um, and I feel pretty confident making that blanket statement. Um, and, you know, there's different forms of vitamins uh, and minerals and things like that. So a lot of this information is overwhelming and there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I don't understand this and I'm really overwhelmed. I need yep. someone to help me. Um, and, you know, find help. There's people you can talk to. There's practitioners. There's even more naturally minded doctors that can help you. Um, yeah. I've met a few actually. I've, I'm starting to meet more doctors on this journey that I'm on right now that are starting to really get back to the roots of healing. And it's great to see there's near, not nearly enough that are doing it, but it's good to see that there is some that are kind of getting out of the big pharma web and they're kind of getting back to the more homeopathic and, herbs and uh diet and uh, you know getting everything you need like that instead of in a quick fix pill so it i think doctors are starting to see it i hope but i not enough (laughs) no not not enough and like i said earlier there is a place for pharma i think it's just overused um so they do have their use I, i agree with you like if i get hit by a car or my you know definitely bring me to an emergency room if when I had to get my double hip replacement, that was great to have a surgeon around to do that. But um, as taking care of health, I think that that's where people kind of they think that the law, the word of the doctor is is kind of all law. And I, you realize quickly that it's not. And I just like I love the way that you you came full circle with that. Like, it's really cool that you were headed into that path and definitely going. You were close to being right in there. You were working like, I mean, you went the science route which is amazing and then you went and started working for pharma but then you also realized something jarred you know something happened like you were explaining that changed that and you started to realize that there's a a more healthy way to do that i think that's incredible that's a really cool story thank you yeah i mean doctors and pharma need to make money they're they're business people and Mm -hmm. So how do they stay in business? They keep you just healthy enough to keep you alive, but then they can also sell you products. If a doctor doesn't want to see you or doesn't need to see you, they're not making money on you. So they don't want, yeah, the last thing they want is a group of healthy people (laughs) like that don't need them when you think about it. They don't want healthy people. They want you just sick enough to function and think you're healthy, but you have to keep coming back. So true. It's so true what you're saying. And it's stuff I talk about all the time with people now. And I try to get even the other guests on that are really on the natural, the, like the like natural law health kind of way, like where it's basically what we're talking about. Like get, get your, get what you need through your food, change your diet over time, not right away, but make small changes, 
and start going in the proper direction. And that's what I'm starting to do. I don't expect it's going to happen overnight. I don't, I don't expect it to at all. I don't think it w- ever would. It's something I know is going to be a journey of learning and doing and slowly implementing things. But I think it's, I think it's great that even you're on that path with where you're looking into these things and learning about them. And I learned something about the treatment that you were just talking about that I'm going to look into. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is too, is uh, being disabled is the only club that you can join at any time. And once you're in, (laughs) you're in forever. And you don't want to be in it. You don't want to be in it. I don't want to be in it either. So uh, if you're healthy or relatively healthy, take care of your body and be thankful for it and don't abuse it through processed foods. Right. I agree. I see so many people that are healthy and they just, they waste their, and I'm sure you see that too. I Maybe we're more hyper aware of it because of our disabilities, but I see people that are so healthy and they're just wasting their, what they have. And I'm like, you guys don't realize how precious that is that you can function, move and they, do what you can do. It used to make me angry. And then I realized, you know, that's their journey and this is mine. And good point. That's a great way to look you at know, it. And I, I, I could be angry about it, but I try not to be. No, that's a great point. So, no, I'm just looking at the time here, Ellie. I, we got like one minute left, so I just want to give you the last minute. Let everybody know about your podcast, where they can find it, anything they yep. want, your website, anything you want to know. The last minute's all yours. So you can find my podcast. It called, it's called the Speed Bumps Podcast. It has a little yellow road sign. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, Google, all the places you find that. If you want to connect with me, the best place is on Instagram. My name is one O-N-E, thumb, E-L, one thumb L. And you can also find all my links uh, at campsite.bio slash one thumb L. And Rick said he would put all of these in the chat. And I hope to connect with some of you. And thank you, Rick, for having me on. It was really great chatting with you. And I can't wait to have you on my show. I think you went mute. That's okay. But I sorry, appreciate- sorry about no, that. No, 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 sorry, no. <laughs> forgot I was on mute. But no, thank you so much, Ellie, for being here. I'm looking forward to being on your show for sure. So, uh, and thank you guys for all joining me. And please check out the links I'm going to put in the chat. Check out her podcast; it's amazing, guys. Have a great week. Thank you once again, Ellie. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you, Rick.
on Studio B for Momentary Zen with host Zen Garcia at freedomsteps.com, the people station. This is Thomas, a.k.a. a mad painter. I'd like you to join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. You opposed government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. Hi, I'm Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio.